In its quest to provide an open forum for discussion of controversial issues, this station allows hosts and their guests to express themselves without any significant censorship. You are advised that any view expressed by the host or their guest are not necessarily the views of the owners or management of Toginet Radio, Togi Entertainment, or the Owners Group, Inc. Girlfriend, here is your show. Girlfriended, your chance to connect with other women, especially the woman that is most overlooked, yourself. Girlfriended is all about helping you become self-aware, not self-involved. The aim is to provide information that relates to life, which leads to real connections and results in a desire to connect or care for those in need. The Girlfriended principle was born out of loss. Patty's mother was murdered, and Lisa lost her mother to cancer. This forged a bond between them that nothing could shake. And now the women want to help you in more ways than you can count every day. From the website, GirlfriendIt.com, and the movement, GirlfriendIt, here are Patty Wyatt and Lisa Jernigan on Toginet.com. Welcome to Girlfriend. We're Patty Wyatt and Lisa Jernigan. <laughs> I'm Lisa Jernigan. Lisa Jernigan. <laughs> and we are so excited about today. We have a very fun, nostalgic show that will take us back in time and music. We couldn't believe it. We have the former U.S. manager for the Beatles. Yeah, but before we get too far in today's show, which we are really excited about, um, we want to take you back to last week when we were hosting um, the show live from Las Vegas. And uh, we were in Las Vegas for kind of a unique reason. We were there attending and working at the uh, porn convention. Clarify. <laughs> we need to clarify right now. We were working with a nonprofit organization called Triple X Church, and uh, they have a, a kind of a unique message, and their, and their message is Jesus loves porn stars. So we were there kind of as an outreach just to be there, to just to meet people and to just to love on them and, and just kind of to, to accept them. And it was quite the experience, and we had some really interesting dialogue while we were there. Very um, interesting dialogue, but I think you have to be very careful when you say love on them in this context. Oh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> But we had, <laughs> we had so much information last week on the show, and we had great conversations with Ryan and our guest Naomi that we want to extend the show in a few weeks and have additional guests because we had just so many interesting people that we met, and we would love to talk with more women who used to be in that industry and hear their perspective and, and everything that they've gone through. Um, it's, it's really an explosive topic on many levels, so stay tuned. And we'll post that information and the date on our website, www.girlfriendit.com. Yeah, that, and, um, it, I'm really excited about that because we have several women that said, okay, it's just that have experienced that and just have some incredible stories to share. But back to today's show, they were talking about the music and kind of going behind the scenes. And um, I think music is just such a fascinating subject on so many different levels and um, it has changed so much over the years, and there's so many groups that I couldn't even tell you. I mean, you could kind of think of the names of the groups, like the top 20. And remember Casey Kasem way back oh, when? Yeah. And oh, wow, you are really I'm easy. really going back, but I'm really young. <laughs> I think I heard that through my mom right now. Um, and, and one of the groups that really stands out when you think of the music industry are, is the Beatles, Definitely. the Fab Four. And we've always, we've both loved the, the Beatles. And, of course, you know, we've talked earlier about our love for your love mainly for Josh Groban, you and my so husband. So you like Josh Groban too. You went I to a do. concert. I do. Yeah, yeah, his concert was awesome. But well, I went to his concert one time for Mother's Day. It was my Mother's Day gift. Yeah, and, and that was that was really fun. Yeah, but you got you went to a concert recently for your 
Yeah, mine is U2. I absolutely, you know why? Because U2, when I was in college, they, they kind of came out as a, I don't know, like a, it was in the 80s. So that was basically, you know, when they became big initially. And um, it just that it, it evokes so many emotions. When yes. you have that walking through the student union and hearing you two songs and yeah, so I I think that's so much about music. That's what it's all about. Is it, it does it evokes those emotions. It takes you to a place in time that you can kind of relate to. Well, um, if we're going back to kind of that era with the Beatles and everything, I also like the Monkeys. You remember the Monkeys? <laughs> <laughs> okay, and, and that I like. <laughs> I loved Davy Jones. I bet you had a poster of Davy Jones. You know what? I have to admit no, that I did. No, you did not. And I even had a signed poster of Davy Jones. It was like a treasured possession. Wow. So, yeah, wow. yeah. Okay, so you have to tell us a little bit about how I got the signed yeah, one. Yeah, how did you get a Well, it was poster. one of those things because I was real, I was young. Let me just preface that when the monkeys and the Beatles. Actually, the, I was young when the Beatles came out, but the monkeys, I kind of remember. And... uh we had a, we, my parents had a friend that was visiting and he was friends with the manager of the Beatles and, uh, the monkeys, and the monkeys had a TV show. You yeah, know oh yeah, uh-huh. And I was watching it one night when this, this friend came and visited our house and he asked me, do you like Davy Jones? And I said, oh, are you kidding me? And he goes, well, I know that, I know his manager, I can get you a signed poster. And I, of course, I thought this man gave me the best treasure in the world. So sure enough, in the mail, I get a signed poster wow. from Davy Jones. Okay, don't you remember walking with your girlfriends down the street and you would do that side-to-side walk where you yes. put your leg in front of yes. Hey, hey, we're the monkeys. monkeys. <laughs> That's all the song I know. <laughs> and don't sing anymore because we don't <laughs> sing. We are great at playing the radio but not playing music. <laughs> and it does. It just takes you. I can still remember, and I can still remember all those teen magazines that went with that that you just picked up and wow. saw all your favorites. So you were really a monkey fan. I really, really was. But, okay. I, thinking of monkeys, there, there are two types of monkeys. There's the monkeys that the band, and then there's the monkeys that have the tails that's in the zoo. And I have to right now share a, a Patty monkey story because last year we were we were on a trip. We were in Peru, and I discovered on that trip. Well, I discovered many things. About I don't know if trip. I want to if I want to hear this story. <laughs> whenever you whenever you preface with a Patty story, yeah, it's not going to be good for me. <laughs> and you're right. <laughs> You give me way too much material, and now that we have a radio show, it's just, it's golden for me, because I have, you know, so many things to share, but um, my Patty Monkey story, um, I discovered in Peru, you like the zoo, and because somebody in our group, we had a little time to kill, and somebody said, let's go to the zoo, and I was kind of like, I don't know, you know, and it was really hot there, and humid, so I didn't really want to be outside any more than I had to, and you lit up, you just like, the zoo? And you couldn't quit talking about it, so we went to the zoo, and um, now their zoos there are a little bit different than our zoos here. Yeah, well, well, one thing was so funny is that when I went to go look at the monkeys in the cage at the zoo, there was a monkey outside of the cage, and I thought, I was really concerned about this. I had to go to the zookeeper and tell him, okay, you have a, you have a loose monkey, because they're not the nice monkeys. They're no, like the wild, no, wild yes, monkeys. Yes, yes. And he said, oh, no, that's the monkeys from the Amazon jungle, <laughs> they're coming up to get food yes. out of the cages. Yes. And so I thought, oh, this is, this is really quite entertaining. You wouldn't see that, you know, in the no, state. No, no. It's outside of the zoo. Exactly. Their the animals were outside the cage, a lot of them. And um, monkeys, are, though they're cute, they're really a dirty animal. And, yeah. Um, and you were fascinated by them. And th- this, 
the month, the, it was interesting because the cages in the zoo, we just had all this stuff on them. And I don't, we won't even describe the stuff. But <laughs> what was interesting is you kind of walked along these trails. And I was up ahead of you with another friend of ours, Terry. And Terry overheard um, one of the moms that lived there in the city with, that had taken her kids to the zoo. And she was telling her child, okay, be careful because this is really dirty. Don't touch anything. Don't touch the cages. And she, in fact, had antibacterial hand wipes. So that caught Terry's attention. So Terry goes, okay, just make sure we don't touch anything because obviously it's really dirty because they even have antibacterial wipes here for their children. And you could tell by looking at cages and stuff that any normal sane person would not be drawn to touch those. (laughs) Did you hear that any normal sane person would not want to touch those? That's the key word. So anyway, for some reason, when Terry told me this, I looked behind me and saw you back at the cage before us, and I thought, I told Terry, I'm going to go tell Patty this. And she was like, oh, you don't need to tell Pat- Patty. Patty will figure that out. And I, go, I am a grown woman. Exactly. I don't and I said, need no, to No, for tell some me. reason, I felt compelled I need to go tell her this news, how dirty this really is. So I went back to find you. I couldn't even open my mouth. All I could do was just start that gut giggling that where you want to explode. actually bent over because you couldn't get the words out. As I was standing there, literally my both hands in, intertwined into the wire cage. <laughs> she was hanging from the cage. I wish I could see this visual. Staring at the monkeys. And I just went up to her because the very thing I was going to tell her is do not touch these cages. And there she was touching embedded in this cage. <laughs> and it was all I could do to laugh and giggle because I thought, Wow, I really did have to tell her. Terry's not going to believe this when I go back and say, you don't understand. She was hanging from the cage. <laughs> but what was funny, though, is later on, um, and I told you that, and you kind of then we laughed, and then um, we proceeded to another monkey cage, which there were many types of monkeys we discovered in Peru. Yes, yes. And so, anyway, well, that was a long, that was definitely a long route to say how quirky, or, or I guess some people would call that idiotic, <laughs> Oh yeah. So that that was our that was our monkey thing. But back to monkeys, beetles, music. Um, you know what? Last night um, I was watching the American Idol. Okay, yes, we both saw the American Idol. And um, you know, it's it's really sad that that can capture you. Like you you truly look forward to um, watching these people. And I always feel so sorry for some of them because they seem so mean. I mean, that was my thing. I know, because I was like, okay, they just deflated them. I just like, oh, please don't tell them they're they're rotten. I know. And yet it is a music industry. I mean, it's tough. It is tough to, you know, get in any industry. And if they're going to go to that next level, they have to really have thick skin. And so they are trying to see how thick their skin are. Yeah. Well, what what really um, caught my eye was the two girlfriends, because, you know, just because we are all about girlfriendifying everything, and then to um, see these two girls, I don't know, how old How old do you think they were? Like, they seemed young, like 16, 17. Yeah, they seemed young. Uh-huh. Yeah. They kind of had this Barbie doll look to them. Their their face, their makeup was Actually, fake. I came in because um, I was doing some other things and after they had just finished performing. And so I, I walked in just in time to hear Simon say, you guys are better together than by yourself. But then it went downhill from there because... Uh, the judges were saying that one friend was better than the other one. So yeah. it was really kind of sad, but it was touching to see two friends wanting to do it together. And, um, and just, you know, the stories that are going to unfold with American Idol. But music, again, is such an entertainment, and it, it really stirs our soul. 
and it really just um, captivates us. Oh, definitely. And we want you to stay tuned because we have, like we mentioned before, um, the manager for the, well, they, they actually title him the U.S. manager for the Beatles. And his name is Ken Mansfield. Ken Mansfield. And we met him, I don't know, like five or six years ago. We were so excited to meet him. And now we're even more excited to, to be able to interview him. And um, so coming up, what are the top three most popular Beatles songs? And start thinking about when you remember hearing the Beatles for the first time. You know, do, what, where does that take you back in time when you first learned of the Beatles or when you kind of fell in love with the Beatles? So stay tuned. We're coming back with Ken Mansfield. This is Girlfriend on Togginap. Don't forget to tell your friends to check it out on GirlfriendIt.com. It's time to discover it, connect it, propel it, Girlfriend It. And we'll be right back with more Girlfriend It Radio right after these. Critical thinking in the real world. What does it take to get ahead and stay ahead of the curve in this ever-changing world around us? Critical thinking in the real world with Janet Hens. Wednesdays at 1 p.m. Central on Togginet. Starting November 4th, Janet Hens is a college instructor, speaker, writer, wife, and mother of three young children. She also has her Master's of Arts in writing from Johns Hopkins University. Janet began her career working for a congressman on Capitol Hill, then moved over to lobbying when he retired. It was through these jobs that she learned about the power of grassroots initiatives, media relations, and public speaking. And then she honed these skills when she became a college instructor. Today, she artfully balances work with full-time motherhood. In the show, Critical Thinking in the Real World, Janet will discuss hot topics and the critical thinking necessary to assess them. Her passion for education impacts her daily life, and she'll share that in every show. Critical Thinking in the Real World with Janet Hens, Wednesdays at 1 p.m. Central, starting November 4th on toginet.com. Get ready to get busy with Getting It Done. Getting It Done with Jill Staroshevsky, Wednesdays at 8 p.m. Central on toginet.com. We'll be bringing you moms and dads who are getting it done. Parents who have a lot on their plate, but still manage to go that extra mile to accomplish things that they have long dreamed of. Well, how do they do that? Well, that's what this is for. The goal is to educate, motivate, encourage, and support the multitasker in all of us. Whether it's that book that you've been meaning to write, that business that you've been hoping to start, that dish that you've been striving to master, getting it done is here to help make it happen. Motivating you to get started, encouraging you to keep going, providing tips and advice on how to keep the kids happy, healthy, and safe while getting it done and done well. Learn from fellow moms and dads who are getting it done and learn about yourself along the way. It's Jill Staroshevsky and Safety Mom Media bringing out the stars in all of us. It's Getting It Done with Jill Staroshevsky Wednesday nights at 9, 8 central on toginet.com. Welcome back to Girlfriended Radio. A chance for you to let your hair down, curl up with a mug of whatever you love, and have some nice girl talk. It's Girlfriended, the radio show on toginet.com. And now back to the show with your hosts, Patty and Lisa. Okay, when we left you, we left a question at the break. What are the top three most popular Beatles songs? Can you guess? 
Yesterday. 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 I, well, my favorite one is All You Need Is Love. And that's, just, that's one of them. And then the other one is Hey Jude. Hey Jude. You know, it's interesting when um, I was looking back over all the, the Beatles songs, the titles, I, it, it's like you forget how many hits they had. And it just be like, oh, yeah, I remember that song, Yellow Submarine and Abbey Road and oh, so many of them. But if you're just now joining us, we are so excited about today's show and our, our special guest, Ken Mansfield, who uh, was the U.S. manager of the Beatles when they exploded on the scene in the U.S. And uh, we just want to give you a little bit uh, of background on Kim because he's fascinating. We just can't wait to get into the talking. But um, we met him, like Patty said, about five years ago at a, at a conference, and we have not forgotten him. And You can't forget him. His resume is way too long to list. But we are going to highlight a few things, such as he was the, um, the executive with Capitol Records. He was the first American executive to work with the Beatles after they exploded um, with their popularity here. And at Capitol Records, he also worked with the Beach Boys, Glenn Campbell, uh, the Steve Miller Band. I loved the Steve Miller Band. <laughs> I thought you were going to say I love Glenn Campbell. Cause I liked him, a, too. You're such a country nut. I know. <laughs> um, the Beatles named Ken the U.S. manager of Apple Records. And at Apple Records, he also worked with James Taylor and uh, quite a few others. I can't even list them all. Well, and then years later, after all that, he had a spiritual revival that kind of regenerated his professional and personal life. And he's also the author of three books. So it's just going to be a busy chat time. It really is. And we have Ken on the line. And we have to ask you, Ken, what haven't you done in the music industry? We are so <laughs> impressed with you. Are you there? Yeah, I'm here. I've never had anybody ask me that before. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm really not sure because uh, like a lot of people who maybe come up through an industry, is you have to make your bones and you go through a, a lot of, you know, different routes to uh, to your final uh, point of success, I guess, in a business. So I did about all. I started as an entertainer. I, I was a uh, club owner. Uh, I sang, uh, you know, in the start out in college in the typical uh, group in college out of the fraternity house. And after a while, we were able to quit singing for beer and pizza and actually start getting paid to do what we do. <laughs> Got discovered by some Beverly Hills managers, and then the contact thing started where you start making friends and the friends start evolving into the business. And there's one thing that's really neat about the, the music business is the guys that you start out on the street with, the guys that you struggle with and sleep in the back of the vans with and, and do all this, eventually one of us start breaking through, and we, and we pull our pals along with us, you know. So as they go through their open doors, then they uh, every time a door opens, they they bring you in. So it's a it's a natural progression in the business. You know? Well, I love what you said. We pull our pals in. We're going to have to use that one because we are all about the relationships and those friendships. Uh huh. Um, do you still are you connected with just some of your you know your pals as you say from when you were younger? Well, I am uh, mainly from the from the entertainment industry and mainly from my Nashville years. But um, what's interesting is you kind of uh, uh, evolve away from each other over time as your as your lives move on. But as yeah. you you start being an author and and uh, you know with the major publishers and your books start coming out, it's just incredible how people come back into your life through this avenue. And how our lives have changed, you know, and really, we start realizing how much there is to each of us as as we as we go along, you know. Exactly, and you know, you really learn that it is really a small world, and 
not to burn bridges and to really um, invest in those relationships. Yeah. You never know. They come around. I mean, it's so true. And I love that you said, um, you know, you kind of basically said there, the competition because you would think there'd be so much competition that if one person made it big, it's like, you know, it's like every man for themselves. Yeah. But that's neat to know that you guys kind of pulled each other along as kind of like the starving artist a little bit. Yeah. There, you know, it's, it's funny because uh, it's actually – both things are happening simultaneously, too, because, <laughs> you know, you do have, uh, you are in competition, so I think you form your own little uh, friendships as you go along, and you become very loyal to each other, and then you have the people you're competing against, and it's a, it's a I'll tell you what, I talked about the sweet part of the business of being such close pals and all that, but, man, you want to go cutthroat? <laughs> Here you go. Go into the music business. Well, I can only imagine because it is so much about money. And yeah. when you're dealing with money, it, it gets really tough out there. Um, I just have a question, too. When you were, um, you know, when you were in high school, college, did you ever set out to do this path in life and go, I want to become, uh, you know, be in the music industry? Or did you just have a love for music that evolved into a, a career? Yeah, you know, it's funny because ever since I can remember, music was always music in me, but never on any level that I, I thought I would do anything with it. I thought that's just something so incredible, you know. And I mean, I grew up on Indian reservation lands in northern Idaho, so if you want to get it about removed, mm-hmm. the entertainment industry, yeah. <laughs> there I was. But it just, uh, so I, I uh, went to the University of Idaho and selected my major as foreign trade. I wanted to go overseas. I was good at languages. And I wanted to work for American corporations overseas. I, I spent one winter in California and immediately became a California the first 10 minutes after I got off the plane uh, in the middle of winter. And so I transferred to San Diego State University and graduated from there. And that's what put me in proximity of the music business because in the fraternity, um, you know, we had a group and, and uh, so we were close to L.A., and, and that's how we got discovered. And it, that's where my path went. When I graduated from college, um, I, was, uh, I went into the space industry and in the Saturn Surveyor Space Programs doing a program time cost and analysis for the space program. Mm. But I was working all day with my little plastic pencil thing, you know, in my pocket mm-hmm. with scientists. And in the evening, I'm out playing the clubs, and weekends, I'm on the road with my band. And so it evolved. It evolved from wow. One- to have what you, I've naturally loved to do as opposed to what I thought I was supposed to do. Exactly. Ken, what have you noticed, you know, going back to it's just such a cutthroat, you know, industry there, what have you noticed about great artists? Other than their musical talent, what, what is about their personality or they have this charisma, this temperament about them that makes them a great artist and not just a really good one? Are you able to even articulate that? Kind of like that good to great. What, what separates and how... How can you see that in somebody? You know, they're going to make it. You know, they're, I think, being uh, in the entertainment business, either as a creative person, as an artist, or as a producer, or an arranger, or a musician, or an executive, and you know, that kind of a thing, you develop a sense. And these are the people that truly make it. There's, there's just some people that just have this talent that you can just feel, and it is special. Uh, there are other people who actually have ability, but they don't have that heart, that something that's just really special. And they will break through sometimes, almost like uh, a machinery to where they'll get people behind them, but they never last. 
You know, it's the mm-hmm. people have the true heart. And these are usually, uh, sadly to say, the tragic cases because it's like this genius gift of, of music and ability uh, doesn't always go side by side with making good decisions, you know. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and uh, because uh, the other thing that runs side by side with almost anybody in the heart of the music business is total insecurity, uh, paranoia, uh, you know, frustration, all these things because you are, you are artists and nobody totally understands, and then nobody is nobody is capable of handling extreme fame. It's just almost like a load that you can only carry so much, and when it reaches a certain point, everybody starts having problems with it. Um, that's interesting that you say that about the paranoia, because yeah. I believe as artists, you think differently anyway, Yeah. and then you add in that everybody wants a piece of you, everybody wants to talk exactly. to you. I, I, I don't even know, I can't fathom what that would be. And, and even as their manager, did you find that you were kind of had a little bit of that paranoia, like, why are you talking to me? Is it all about getting to them? I mean, did you, did you have those emotions as well? Well, you're hitting the nail on the head because this is one of the, the serious problems uh, in the industry is once you do have success, and on every level, whether you're a producer or a manager or the, the artist themselves or, or whatever, you never can really trust people's motives for wanting to, to be with you. Mm-hmm. Uh, are they really truly your friend or are they really there to kind of go side by side with you through the, you know, through the industry and, and sort it out together or... Do they just want something from you? Mm-hmm. And most of the time, if you go to they just want something from you, you're probably right. You know? Yes, yes. And so uh, it's hard to, that's why, and let's, let's take specifically Paul McCartney. Um, when we were putting Apple together and we snuck Paul into the country to uh, put it together over here, uh, and that's when they decided to have me head up their company, is who did he bring with him? He didn't bring, you know, Eric Clapton or, or somebody famous, he brought Ivan, his his high school friend, the kid he grew up with on his block, you know. Really? And that's because he knew Ivan. Ivan knew him before, and Ivan wasn't his friend because he was famous. Ivan was his friend because they liked each other when they were young. Yeah. And uh, when? That, that's a, that was a good um, travel mate for Paul because mm-hmm. he had no agenda with Paul, you know. That is such a good point because it, that is hard and that, that fame can really mess with you and mess with your relationships, unfortunately. And um, it is just so fascinating to hear behind the scenes because so many times the image we see of these successful people is they have it all together and yeah. you don't see that, um, that real raw side to yeah. them of what they're really feeling and struggling with. You know what that does? It robs, uh, it robs a lot of joy out of your life because you can't really relax with the uh, with almost anything, you can't relax with your business situation or your friendships or, uh, you know, what's a guy that, that uh, meets, a, meets a young lady and um, he's successful and is, is she really attracted to him as a person or is she attracted to his stardom and his money and all that? So even going into a marriage, there's always this piece of you that's reserved, you know, mm-hmm. and never quite sure, mm. you know, well, about is- all your relationships. You know, is your manager somebody really out to to uh, make your life better, or is he just in for the for the ride? You know, to get the bucks and and he'll dump you when somebody else better. 
We're going to be back with Ken Mansfield, so stay tuned, and we're going to talk a little bit more about the music industry and um, chat with the former manager to the Beatles. Thanks, Ken. Okay. This is Girlfriended on Togginap. Don't forget to tell your friends to check it out on Girlfriended.com. It's time to discover it, connect it, propel it, girlfriend it. And we'll be right back with more Girlfriended Radio right after these. Inspiring women to be true to themselves. Get ready for Tracy Porter Radio on Toginet.com. 2 p.m. Central, Wednesdays, starting November 4th. Tracy Porter, lifestyle, home and fashion designer. Inspiring women from all over the world with their fashionably eclectic goods, savvy tips, style advice, and encouraging spirit. TracyPorter.com is home to her designer products and voice to thousands of women who flock to Tracy's daily blog for a daily dose of pure Tracy. And now she's coming to Toginet. All of Tracy's enchanting goods can be found at TracyPorter.com and her nationally sought-after mail catalog, Tracy Porter. Plus, you can find her here on Toginet. Tracy's awards, appearances, and accolades are too numerous to mention here. So, ladies, you've just got to come to be inspired, too. With Tracy Porter Radio, inspiring women to be true to themselves, to let their passions lead. Wednesdays at 2 p.m. Central, starting November 4th, on toginet.com. Get a jump on what your preschool kids need to know with Let's Get Ready for Kindergarten from Stacy Cannonberg. A mom told me this is the book I've been looking for. This book gives me all the information I need about what my kids need to know. And a private school admissions director said this is exactly what we test on. Google it, get it, and get ahead. Let's Get Ready for Kindergarten. Applauded and approved by parents and educators. Let's Get Ready for Kindergarten is a state-approved teaching tool. On sale now, in stores, or online at cedarvalleypublishing.com. Welcome back to Girlfriended Radio. A chance for you to let your hair down, curl up with a mug of whatever you love, and have some nice girl talk. It's Girlfriended, the radio show on toginet.com. And now back to the show with your hosts, Patty and Lisa. Right, we are back with Stansfield, the former U.S. manager to the Beatles. And we're going to talk in this next uh, segment a little bit about Ken's spiritual journey and his um, three books that he published. But before we do that, we have to ask you a few more questions because we really um, got into some interesting uh, aspects of, of the business there, Ken. And, you know, it, uh, and reading over your, your bio and your resume, which is so fascinating because you have really rubbed shoulders with some of the big names in the music industry over the years, which people would, would die to have contacts with just one or two of them. But can you just share maybe... Um, what, who has impacted you? Uh, what music that you were that you're drawn to? You know, because like we said music evokes such emotions. Is there something that just really stood out to you? Uh, a particular artist? Yeah. Well, I would have to say uh, Waylon Jennings, uh, without a without a doubt, uh, in my personal life. Um, I grew up, you know, in the country, and then I end up in rock and roll and and the British scene and and all those kind of things. And when I met Waylon, uh, there was something so incredibly unique. I think he's probably one of the greatest artists I've ever known, and I've really worked with a lot of people. Huh. Um, but his music was so so unique and so different and so progressive and so heartfelt. And 
it, it seemed like it combined everything that I, I loved about, about music and about the industry. And he and I spent five years together, uh, just virtually inseparable. Uh, he even put me down on a medical thing one time, and we got in a little trouble as his next of kin. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and uh, you know, just um, uh, somebody that I uh, – he had approached me about um, producing him a few times, and I kept turning him down. Because I was so in awe of him, I just was afraid I would blow it. I just didn't, you know, I personally was insecure with my own ability to produce somebody that I, I held in such high esteem. And mm-hmm. he thought I was turning him down because I didn't think he was good enough for me. Interesting. <laughs> so, so we're having this little Indian standoff there. <laughs> and uh, it was both of our insecurities, but when we got together, it was just magic. And uh, so uh, of all the artists and people I've worked with, that is the single standout for me in my life, both as a fan of somebody and to be involved in their music. And, of course, together we did the Outlaw Movement. We, I was the producer to most of the Outlaws, mm-hmm. Waylon and Tom Paul and Jesse and Willie and all these people. So that was an exciting... You know, because with the Beatles, when I came with the Beatles, they were famous. I, I just got on the train and hung on for dear life, you know. <laughs> with the Outlaw Movement, we created that. We went from scratch. We went from, you know playing in clubs with 300 people or less with a screen up so the beer bottles couldn't get thrown at you, <laughs> you know, filling up major auditoriums and, and headlining and going platinum and gold with our records and things. And that had to be so fulfilling to just create something from the ground level and watch it just explode. It was, and here's what was neat about that, and I think this is part of made it so special because it's one aspect of the industry. This was when we were doing it totally from heart. We didn't care if people liked us. We didn't care if we sold records. All we knew is we were making the music we wanted to make. Uh, we became very rebellious. We just became the people we wanted to be, which wouldn't I wouldn't recommend to any mothers to send their daughters in our midst. But, uh, <laughs> no, True uh, confession. <laughs> and what, what happened with that is we became everybody's fantasy in those days because we were just out there. And uh, and then uh, we had to keep up that reputation. Pretty soon it started wearing us out because they wanted us to be badder and badder and badder, you know. Uh, yes. <laughs> and Waylon finally wrote a, a song saying, this outlaw thing done gone too far. <laughs> <laughs> but it was a pretty exciting time, you know, whether we were going down, we'd be going down the highway in, in the tour, in our bus, you know, the band bus, and there would be like 20 or 30 Hells Angels Riding behind us, <laughs> everybody loved the Wayland. The Indians loved him. And, uh, pretty soon, our concerts, the, f- the first part of the auditorium, be filled up with seventeen-year-old kids, and uh, it was just a, it was an exciting time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love how genuine and authentic you are when you talk about um, you were so insecure, mm-hmm. and he was so insecure. And and so many times we don't talk about those true emotions. We have to yeah. cross as being so self-confident and. You, you kind of go there, um, even in your book, a little bit about some of the lessons on, humili- on humility. Can you elaborate more on and that? And we're talking about your book, Between Wyoming's, your, your latest book. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, if you can just kind of explain, because I know in there you talk about some encounters, and I don't even know if you want to go there right now, like with Whitney Houston, some, something backstage, or just some lessons you've learned that you're sharing. And, and maybe explain a little bit about that spiritual transformation that, that happened in your life. Wow. Let's see. 
Uh, that was a loaded question. Yeah, if you uh, noticed, you know, we both just jump in, and you probably can't even tell the difference in our voices sometimes. <laughs> I know. Um, well, the humility thing, uh, one thing about an artist or, uh, let's say, a producer, because that's more or less the heart of the, of the business, um, is you have put your whole everything into yourself. Um, in order to be a true artist, you usually have to just forget about everything. You're so focused on yourself. Everything is about you. Everything you're Nothing's going to happen unless you're making it happen. And so you really paint yourself into a corner to where it's all about you. And everything you do is about you. And if you just mess up a little bit here or there, you can blow it, you know, and it's just mm -hmm. so much pressure. You know, you get in another business. Artists to think that way. I think so yeah. many people in life think that way, yeah. Right, and you don't trust anybody, and so you, you've got that whole thing going. And then when you do accomplish your success, uh, unfortunate thing about the uh, record business, music business, is, okay, you just had a number one record, you know, what do you, what do you, yesterday, what did you do today? Uh, so you're always, like, on top of it, afraid of slipping back. So there's a, a tough business in that respect. And when it does fall apart, which it usually eventually does for almost everybody that ex uh, has extreme success, whether it's financially or career-wise or just emotionally or personal life, it all seems to come tumbling down because you've built the whole thing on such a narrow, you know, you're walking a narrow fence the whole time. Mm -hmm. And so uh, what happens when that point in time comes is what really determines what a person life, a person's life evolves into. In my case, I had an incredible fall uh, from the top to the bottom that I couldn't even imagine was there. And fortunately, uh, God sent somebody into my life that uh, brought me the truth. And, you know, and How long was that fall? The, well, now that's, a, now that's a good question because it's not like, oh, gee, on January 5th I was doing great and January 6th, uh, you know, I was in yeah. the bottom of the well. What happens in the business, um, we like to use the phrase that you start believing your own press releases. Yes. And you start, you know, believing that this is going to go on forever and the party that, that came about from your success gets a little bigger and bigger uh, as you go into the more decadent aspects of it, you start changing your peer group. And uh, so pretty soon, and especially because of where we were back in the 60s and the 70s, especially, was when the drug culture came totally about. It was the free love, you know, if it feels good, do it. We were caught up in that whole yeah. thing, which I call the big deception, mm -hmm. because we were told that, you know, God is love, so that's why free love is okay, and, and drugs, you know, they get you high, they bring you closer to God, and None of it can hurt you. It's all okay. It's just, you know, that's what we are meant to be. So, um, gee, I forgot <laughs> what was the question. <laughs> anyway. Well, we, uh, you were talking about how long was that? Oh, yeah, that was the question. So yeah. what happens is, is your peer group uh, starts deteriorating because you want people you can hang with and party with and that are more famous and, and all the shallow reasons. And when... Things start slipping, uh, you don't quite see it. And then when you start having problems, who do you turn to? You, you turn to your adult-brained buddies who are, you know, worse off. Than, right there as well, yeah. And they're the ones that give you your advice. And it starts moving like a, a snowball. And pretty soon you spend more time trying to hang on to your life than you do being creative and doing the things that 
you know, the, the major life successful. You're just... Mm-hmm. You stop just doing the things that got you where you are. And yeah. Kind of you don't have time for things. You're, you're, yeah, that image. Yeah, you're fighting so many battles with just trying to hang on to your toys and your estates and all the things you have, you know. So you mentioned somebody came into your life. Yeah. And, um, can you explain that a little bit and then how that, what got your attention? Well, this is about girls, right, today? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well. Then there was a girl in there. Yeah. Uh, I had a major crash from the top down to the bottom. I lost everything. And so. Are you saying financially? And Oh, financially, my, my marriage fell apart. My kids were messed up. I lost my uh, my home and my cars and, and my career, I, w- I wasn't getting the projects anymore and I wasn't having hit records. And, and so the finances start, you know, really drying up. And what happens when you're in the business is you really have a big nut because pretty soon you've got, you know, servants, and you've got all these things and you've got the expensive toys and you think it's going to go on forever. And then let's say, you know, you have to make so much a month just to pay your bills, and then pretty soon you're not making that much, much, and then pretty soon you're in the hole. Then you're scrambling, and everything falls apart. Anyway, my life totally fell apart, and I was in L.A., and I'd had a lot of success in Nashville over the years. So when everything fell apart in L.A., I thought, you know, I'm just going to go back down to Nashville, and I'll pick up where I, you know, where I left off down there. And um, so I hit Nashville, just broke. I had three cardboard boxes and three suitcases. I lost my home. I lost I had my Mercedes and my toys and all this stuff. And and I was a stoner and I had a guru and and I was in debt and I, I you know my career was a mess. Wow. And I thought you know I'm just going to go back to Nashville and hook up with my crazy outlaw friends and just get crazier and yeah. And, uh, and uh, I don't know. I'll start over back there. And I just came to Nashville and the doors were just shut on me. And uh, so right away, though, I was there just a few days, and I was uh, at a music row watering hole with, uh, with my engineer, a guy had been engineering my records before, and we were sitting there, and these two young ladies walk in, and one of them I just looked at, and I fell on the floor. And, uh, Aww. and, and so... Uh, I wasn't, but I really wasn't in for a relationship. I just had gotten out of one. I just needed to get my life together. The last thing I wanted was to get involved in a relationship, and I couldn't stop staring at her at this other table. And her girlfriend got up and, and walked to, to go to the bathroom. So I walked over to her table. And I said, "Look, major move." <laughs> I said, uh, "Hi, my name's Ken Mansfield, and uh, I didn't know if you'd, well, you know, here's my phone number if you ever want to." call me or something, <laughs> you know. Well, obviously that didn't go over too well. But what I did is I told her, I said, what I really came over to do was apologize. I'm staring at you, and that's incredibly rude, and I just wanted to apologize for that. All right. Thank you so much, Ken. And we are going to have Ken on our next segment, and now we're getting into the good stuff. We're going to start talking about uh, relationships, so stay tuned. Okay. This is Girlfriended on Togginap. Don't forget to tell your friends to check it out on Girlfriended.com. It's time to discover it, connect it, propel it, Girlfriend It. And we'll be right back with more Girlfriended Radio right after these. Being frugal doesn't mean being cheap. And the frugalitarian is here to show you how. 
Jody Olson is the Frugalitarian on Togedown, 3 p.m. Central, Wednesdays. This is the art of great living. It's just a matter of time before people start asking you to tell them your secrets to better style, bargains on food, home decor, and clothing. Your wants don't have to change, just how you acquire what you want. On the Frugalitarian, it's an uncommon mix of style, fashion savvy, and earth friendly. Showing you great taste, great style, and great ideas for finding everything you want for nearly nothing. I'm speaking from experience. I live on a beautiful farm where I take care of sheep and do a few light farm chores for extremely low rent. For more clever ideas on how to waste not and totally want not, go to thefrugalitarian.com. Join us every week for more information on how you can live better for less with Jody Olson. It's The Frugalitarian, Wednesdays at 3 p.m. Central on toginet.com. Celebrate Green is coming to Toginet, Wednesdays at noon central time, starting November 4th. The mother-daughter team of Lynn and Corey will have you going green and loving it at no time at all. As heard on Martha Stewart and Disney Radio and seen blogging for HGTV, Lynn Caldwell and Corey Caldwell-Lipsum are unapologetic evangelists for greening every aspect of life, especially holidays and celebrations. Based on their book, Celebrate Green, they're putting the meaning in the greening with their simple, fun, eco-friendly, affordable ideas. From their start with green Halloween to tips, tricks, ideas, and projects for every holiday, you'll love Celebrate Green. You can check them out online too at celebrategreen.net and greenhalloween.org for more information, the newsletter, the blogs, places to shop, cool extras, and so much more. So get ready to celebrate green. The radio show with Lynn and Corey, Wednesdays at noon central time, starting November 4th on toginet.com. Welcome back to Girlfriended Radio, a chance for you to let your hair down, curl up with a mug of whatever you love, and have some nice girl talk. It's Girlfriended, the radio show on toginet.com. And now back to the show with your hosts, Patty and Lisa. And we are back, and we have been having such a great conversation with uh, Ken Mansfield, who is the U.S. manager of the Beatles. And Ken has had quite an extensive career in the music industry, and and uh, been, been friends and rubbed shoulders with some very influential people in the business and has a fascinating story. And, and we left off at the last segment, Ken, when you were just kind of talking about your, your, basically your spiritual transformation and revival and how you had kind of hit rock bottom and yeah. kind of pulling yourself back up. And, and, and it was about a girl, as we recall, and you had just made your move. But um, can I talk about that a little bit? And I know that you describe yourself as an evangelist. Uh-huh. Right. Hey, let me finish that just a little bit because okay. that was the what had happened is I'd gone to Nashville just to continue my decadent ways, and God just threw somebody right in the middle of my path and and, and pulled that up short. Because the end result of that was um, we we did uh, go out and we fell in love immediately. And here I was. If I'd put an ad in the paper, no smart young lady would have answered it because I was just <laughs> you know with my guru and my drugs and my and all that kind of stuff. And something, uh, she was just a sold-out Christian, and she kept witnessing to me, and she would take me to Christian rock concerts and take me to the churches in Nashville where all the cool uh, Christian musicians went and just witnessed to me and prayed over me. And she was starting to make a dent, but we were getting more deeper in our relationship, and she just came to me one day, and she said, I've had to make a decision 
She said, uh, I cannot be unequally yoked, and I see how our relationship is going. And so I've had to make a decision between you and Jesus, and uh, as much as I love you, I, I need to choose Jesus. Oh, wow. So what she did in that is she had talked the talk to me for months, but when she walked the walk, mm-hmm. that's what changed it. And I thought, you know what, I, would, I told her, I said, well, I'd change gurus for you, you know. <laughs> but, um, you know, let's just meet in the middle. Let's get off this Jesus thing. Let's find a thing in the middle. But when she made that statement, I thought to myself, you know, I want to believe in something that strongly. I want to have something in my life that's mm. important, that I'll give up some, anything for it. Wow. And through that, then she brought me to the Lord. We got married. First person I see every morning when I wake up is a person that saved my life. Mm. Now, you know, God, in, in his wondrous ways, took all those years of decadence and, and uh, sent her in my life, and we have an incredibly powerful ministry right now. Uh, I am definitely an evangelist. Uh, I'm into outreach. I'm just, you know, so. <laughs> that is a powerful story. And we met her, and she. You did. She just lights up a room. She's just amazing. Yeah. That's a, it's just neat when you see God's relentless pursuit. I mean, right. he, he went after you. And, and, and we'll never know this side of heaven, but you wonder, like, who was praying for you? Uh-huh. But, um, like you said, God just collided your world when you, for you to walk in there and instantly know that you were in love with her. Yeah, and this was not something she was looking for either, you know, but it was just out of our hands. <laughs> yes, yes. And the person that prayed for me, my mother prayed for me for 30 years for my salvation. Wow. Uh, she hung in there through my, you know, my decadent years and my new age years and all this stuff. And I know I, know I was just breaking her heart, but she never stopped loving me. She kept praying for me and my brother. And uh, the last 10 years of her life were spent in just abject pain. She was horribly ill. She was bedridden. She never stopped praying for us, and when we, my brother and I both came to the Lord the same year, and she passed on. Wow. She wasn't going anywhere until her boys were safely in. I just know that about my mom. You know, and that is, that is such a cool thing to hear because there really is so much power in a mother's prayer. Yeah. And so many times we put a time limit on our prayers, and when God doesn't answer within a year or a few yeah. months, and here for 30 years she relentlessly prayed for you and didn't give up and how God was faithful. Uh-huh. Answering that, and, and it just that is so encouraging to hear so many times because we we can't get discouraged when we feel like, okay, God, are you listening, or is this is anything going to happen? And it really does, and it's all in God's timing. And then how He just has used your life to impact so many people. What right. if you were to say, what is the it in your life today that gets you up in the morning? The thing that just stirs your soul that you go, I have to get up and run into today because of this. What would it be? What would you say? Well, it's just the way that God has, has used me, and I, I love because everything that is in the Bible comes true once you really, once you really give your life over to Him and you, and you press in and read the Word every day. And I can see all His promises as I get up. You know, uh, anybody couldn't be any more undeserving as I as I am for somebody to be graceful to, and and what I went through. But you know, I'm just as white as snow every day when I get up and, and reconfess my sins and. Uh, the sins of the previous day, you know. Yeah. And so I get to start afresh, and it's just, I just never know where he's going to send me again. I was on the road for 30 years in the music business, and when I became a Christian, the last thing I wanted to do was go back out on the road again. And, man, that he, he just jerked me out there. 
Wow. And he's got me out there, and we just have the most incredible ministry and so many people coming to the Lord. Because, you know, what happens is the the fringe people, the rock and roll people, the people that aren't quite sure about anything, I have cred with them because I was with the Beatles. Now, as shallow as that is, I was with the Beatles, so they'll listen to me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I'm, I have great validity and cred, cred with them, and they'll come into the churches I appear at. Uh, just because they want to meet the guy that was with the Beatles, we have a question and answer period at the end. I give my testimony. Uh, we a lot of times do uh, Beatle music with with Christian lyrics. I call them redeemed lyrics, and um, they uh, they are just uh, receptive to what I have to say. And we are averaging about forty percent visitors to the churches I'm in, so the mm-hmm. outreach is very powerful. And so many people come to the Lord when they hear the message, when they hear that they can come all the way back from their from their pits and their decadence and, and their tragedies and all that and be totally redeemed. And um, uh, God used that. You know, I don't think for... When I was with the Beatles, I was, a, I was a pretty hot guy, man. You know, I was a young guy. I was on top of the world. But then God's revealed to me that, no, it just was his plan. He had his mm-hmm. plan that he had in the works for 30 years. And, uh, you know, I say sometimes maybe he just wanted me to reach one person, and that person could be in Des Moines when I'm speaking there, you know, and then that person be, could, could become the next Billy Graham, you know, who mm-hmm. knows. Mm-hmm. I just love the way he will orchestrate our lives as soon as we let go and let him. Well, we want to talk a little bit about um, the three books that you wrote. And sure. also you can find out everything about Ken when you go on to the girlfriendit.com site. It has his websites and the books that he's written. But before we do that, we have a girlfriend, Ken, that we met um, about eight months ago, and she's in her 20s. Her uh-huh. mom is a big fan of the Beatles, and um, we have her on the line. She had a couple questions that she wanted and to ask you. And what's cool is the next generation, it's like timeless. The music. It, it's bizarre that, you know, when you think of the, the Beatles, it's so right. multi-generational all the way from the 60s to, you know, people that are 70 and, and 80s and beyond. So we have Katie on the line. Okay. Hi, Katie. Hello. Hi, Katie. Hi, Ken. Hi. 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 I have a question about uh, the dynamics of the group. I guess this one's no. You had any dirt on them. I was always curious, um, did Paul really play the drums? during recordings instead of Ringo, and did that create tension in the group? Actually, the answer is, is no to that. There was, I think, and to my knowledge, only one record that drum, Ringo didn't really play the drums on. And that, I mean, Paul could be on drums on things, but it's not in the terms of replacing Ringo as a drummer. He may have had a little riff or an idea, or maybe they were laying down a demo. We were When we were putting together Apple Records, uh, they put me and uh, a couple of their executives from Capitol Records up in the suite in the Hyde Park Hotel. And so we had our meetings in the suite. It's the four Beatles and a couple of us from Capitol and, and some Apple staffers there. And because of the Beatles' fame, uh, we couldn't go to a restaurant. And what we did is they had a, a nightclub room upstairs at the hotel. And so we would go up there, and uh, they would serve us from the kitchen at the hotel at in this nightclub, and we finished lunch one day, and Paul got up, and maybe he got on the drums, I don't know, and Ringo got up, and maybe he got on bass. They all got on different uh, instruments and did like a 20-minute concert for five of us sitting there at the table. So, you know, Paul could play just about anything, but not as a replacement. Ringo Starr, by the way, is considered uh, in in the music business one of the great drummers of all time. Wow. 
And he's just, you know, people make fun of him, but uh, it's not true. It's not true. He's incredible. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, I have another question. Uh-huh. Yeah, Prime. Go for it. Um, why didn't Paul buy the royalties um, before Michael Jackson? Uh, Paul and Michael, I missed the middle part. Um, why didn't Paul buy the royalties? Oh, buy the publishing. The yeah, the publishing well, assignment. Well, oh, Paul, in, in simple words, he got blindsided on that. He wasn't expecting that. Uh, uh, it just caught him totally off guard. Michael really pulled a, a slick deal when he did that and bought the Beatles publishing out from underneath them. And that's why McCartney turned around and he bought the Buddy Holly publishing because it was like, oh, my gosh, I lost the Beatles. I'm going to go for something else legendary. And uh, he bought Buddy Holly's publishing uh, companies and, and copyrights as a, as a knee-jerk reaction to being outdone by Michael on the other thing. Wow. He just wasn't paying attention, and Michael got in there and did it. Oh, that is that is really interesting. It is interesting to hear the stories behind the story. Yeah. Yeah, and as I'm sure you – I mean, you could fill volumes, and you have. Why don't you – um, at the end, Katie, thank you for those questions. Those are great questions. Just yeah, talking. Thanks for having me. Do you have another one? Um, I guess, um, were you disappointed that the Beatles, when they started doing drugs? Huh. Was I disappointed? Yeah. No, I was stoned. <laughs> Sorry. No, but I mean. <laughs> I mean, now looking back, I mean, were you disappointed at the whole, I mean, did it do anything creatively? And I know the effects, the, the bad side effects outweighed the good. Yeah. Well, what, um, what was interesting about the Beatles is we, you know, it was a lot of pressure because we had a lot of important things and, to do and all that. And when I was with them, totally actively with them, uh, the drugs was never the front and center thing, and, uh, and it wasn't chasing girls and things like that. The Beatles, the thing I liked about them, we would have meetings and they would show up on time. And the focus was always on our music, our creativity, uh, the company, them, you know. Um, it was it was pretty amazing. For the most part, that wasn't in the forefront. It was absolutely in the picture and not, not the forefront. Hey, Ken, we have so appreciated you today and had so much fun. And we can keep going on, but unfortunately we're out of time. Stay tuned. Join us um, next week, and you can learn more about Ken on our website at GirlFriendIt.com. Have a great week. Thank you for being a part of this special program, Girlfriend It, the show dedicated to the most important woman you know, yourself. It's the show 